bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. A jury has just awarded $1 million to a climate scientist who went after a conservative commentator for challenging his conclusions. Also, The New American Steve Bonta recently interviewed economics expert David Bratt. They discussed inflation, interest rates, and modern monetary theory. We'll have that in a bit. And the publisher of The New American, Dennis Barron, will join us shortly to talk about how you can use our magazine as part of your activism. We got all that coming up. But first, globalists and leftists are having a fit over Trump's comments on NATO that he made during a weekend campaign rally. Here's what he said. There are 250. I did the same thing with NATO. I got them to pay up. NATO was busted until I came along. I said, everybody's going to pay. They said, well, if we don't pay, are you still going to protect us? I said, absolutely not. They couldn't believe the answer. And everybody, you never saw more money pour in to Secretary General Stoltenberg. Well, I don't know if he is anymore, but he was my biggest fan. He said, all these presidents came in, they'd make a speech, they'd leave, and that was it. And they all owed money, and they wouldn't pay it. I came in, I made a speech, and I said, you got to pay up. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. And the money came flowing in. Trump's comments triggered Republican presidential contender Nikki Haley, who saw this as an opportunity to make a case for why she has any business still being in this race. Her performance in the primary so far has been dismal, to say the least. Just last week, she lost in Nevada to the option that says none of these candidates. Nevertheless, neocon Nikki went on social media platform X to sing the praises of NATO. NATO, she said, has been a 75-year success story. There hasn't been a war in the region because of NATO. It is a massive mistake for Donald Trump to side with a thug like Putin over our allies, and it will put troops in harm's way. However, appearing on Bloomberg, Haley may have accidentally made a case for why the U.S. should not be part of any entangling foreign alliance. We need to make sure that we have an alliance that's strong. Our whole goal is to prevent war. That's the main thing. I mean, you look at Russia right now. The reason people should care about Ukraine is because, one, it's a pro-American, freedom-loving country. But two, listen to what Putin said. Putin said once he takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. Those are NATO countries. That immediately puts America at war. While Haley calls Trump's stand a mistake, former NATO Commander General Wesley Clark went further. He told CNN anchor John Berman that Trump's comments were treasonous. And Florida's Republican Senator Marco Rubio went on CNN with Jake Tapper to explain what Trump really meant. By the way, Donald Trump was president and he didn't pull us out of NATO. You know, in fact, American troops were stationed throughout Europe as they are today. They were then as well. But he's telling a story. And frankly, look, Donald Trump is not a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. He doesn't talk like a traditional politician. And uh, we've already been through this now. You'd think people had figured it out by now. What he's basically saying is, if you, if you see the comments, he said NATO was broke or busted until he took over because people weren't paying their dues. And then he told the story about how he used leverage to get people to step up to the plate and, and become more active in NATO. He's not the first American president. In fact, virtually every American president at some point in some way has complained about other countries in NATO not doing enough. Um, 
you know, Trump's just the first one to express it in these terms. But I, I have zero concern because he's been president before. I know exactly what he has d done and will do uh, with the NATO alliance. But there has to be an alliance. It's not America's defense with a, a bunch of small junior partners. Some of these are big countries with big economies. Many of them are doing more. The Germans mm -hmm. are doing a lot right now. Statista put together data about how much each NATO member state spends on defense. The results were pretty remarkable. Only 11 of 30 member countries pay the recommended 2% of their GDP on defense. So join me to discuss today's stories. This is executive senior editor of the New American Magazine, Steve Bonta. Hey, Steve Bonta. Hi, Paul Dragu. So I know you may not see eye to eye, but I can't help but think of the irony here. And that is that if it weren't for NATO or this purported expansion of NATO into Ukraine, we might actually not be seeing the war that we're seeing now. What are your thoughts on all this NATO hubbub and what Trump said? Well, there's a lot, a lot to unpackage here. First of all, you know, NATO is problematic on several counts. Number one is it, it is it is a multilateral arrangement, and it is not wise policy for the United States to be in the business of multilateralism. The United Nations is another such. I mean, people don't talk about NATO quite in the same way because the, the assumption is, well, NATO is a bunch of like-minded, Western, freedom-loving countries. Oh, yeah? What about Turkey? Okay. I mean, you just look at Turkey and, you know, I don't have anything particularly brief against Turkey, but it's not a Western country. It is a traditional enemy of, of Western Europe. And its membership in NATO is problematic if the, I mean, right now we see Turkey, for example, is cutting deals with Russia, is clearly not on board with the whole anti-Putin program, mm -hmm. you know, not to argue the merits or or, or, or lack thereof of yeah. this, but just to say that that, that, that NATO is, is far from unified. So that's one problem. Another problem is that it commits us to, you know, to action. If any member state is attacked, including Turkey, including Lithuania, Estonia, and so forth and so on, then we're, you know, bound to go to war on their behalf. The only, you know, the, the countries right now, the only two countries that are in Putin's sights right now, potentially, that are not members of NATO are Ukraine and Moldova, which no one ever talks about Moldova, but there's no question if, if Ukraine falls, Moldova will probably actually be next because they're not NATO either. So they would be pretty much easy prey. Mm -hmm. There's already a Russian presence there in the Moldovan Transnistria and so forth and so on. Okay, so now the question becomes, you know, well, what should what, what should we do instead, if anything? I mean, I I'm, I'm, would concede that the situation today is different from when, it, you know, from 200 years ago when we could completely, we could afford the luxury of completely ignoring what, what happened, happened in Europe. Yes. Because today there is a, a, a several hostile powers, Russia in particular, that have weapons pointed at the United States that could obliterate our cities in th within 30 minutes. Right. Okay, so so that is an issue. It's, it's, it's as though Russia were That's next door. a very door. legitimate issue. It is a legitimate issue that can't be entirely ignored. Mm -hmm. That said, of course, you know, what do we do? I think what Trump is saying, what Trump said is, is and I think it's, it's valid, if you don't, if, if you, Lithuania or, Ger or Germany or whatever, do not live up to your treaty obligations, then we can't be treaty bound either. Because part of the obligation is that you're going to pay your dues, right? And yeah. they don't. The same, by the way, mutatis mutandis could be said for the UN. We always pay our dues on time, the lion's share, lots of other countries, most other UN members, you know, lecture us all the time, uh, uh, in, uh, you know, using the UN as a forum. But they, they themselves are all in arrears their dues. The difference with NATO is, and, and this is why if you're Germany or the Netherlands or France or, or, or Lithuania, 
NATO is a, bi- a, a big there. I can understand why Lithuania would want to have that. I mean, in the, you know, a matter of national survival, they probably would have been reabsorbed by Russia already were they not members of NATO. So I can perfectly understand why the, the, the you know, the, the people of Estonia and Latvia and Poland so yeah. would want to, to join it. Western Europe, I mean, Germany is more problematic. Germany is a good example of a country that, that loves NATO because they, it absolves them of a lot of responsibility for their own defense. Mm-hmm. Their military budgets are just Lilliputian compared to ours. And that frees up lots of money for them to build up their gargantuan welfare states and then lecture us about, well, uh-huh. you know, we should be more like them, more, you know, social democrats or socialists and so yeah. forth and so on. It is maddening stuff. You know, they can afford that luxury because they enjoy the security of the American nuclear umbrella. Isn't there a buildup right now oh. in Europe of, of arms and even possibly armies or of whatnot? Well, you know, and I mean, it should be. I mean, Europe has got to figure out how to solve its own problems. Uh, they were on the path to doing that. After the Thirty Years' War, the famous Peace of Westphalia that was signed created an entirely new and, and I would say a salutary framework for international relations, which included the principle of, of, of inviolable sovereignty and the sovereign equality of all countries, large and small. This mechanism worked very well. Obviously, there were episodes, the Napoleonic Wars, World War I and so forth, World War II, where, where Westphalian principles were not adhered to, but it was certainly a civilizing step. When we came in and just extended our benign, the nuclear umbrella and everything else, and yeah. it, you know, the European, okay, now we can sit back. Oh, by the, and by the way, I wanted to correct one th- comment made by, made by Haley. There's not been a world war in Europe There's since then, but there have been conflicts. plenty of wars, particularly the Yugoslav War, which was a messy affair back yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, well, and that was fought. NATO got involved with that and bombed lots of countries. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. we'll we'll see how this goes. Uh, thanks, Steve. After this, a climatologist went after people who challenged his alarmist climate model and won. Imprisonment, forced labor, permanent separation from my family. Perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect. But the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world, one without tyranny, was within sight. The West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud sipped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about the fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home, but I pushed those thoughts from my mind closed my eyes and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector, a true story of tyranny, liberty, and purpose by Mark Hobavkovich with Paul Dragu, a thrilling page turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase Defector at shopjbs.org. Hey folks, The New American will be at CPAC next week and we'll be bringing you exclusive interviews and news right from the event in Washington, D.C. I'll be there along with my colleague, TNA senior editor, Veronica Karolinko, and we're going to talk to some of the most important people in GOP politics. 
So make sure to tune in to thenewamerican.com next week for exclusive TNA coverage of CPAC. Welcome back, folks. So 12 years ago, Michael Mann sued two conservative writers for defamation after they compared his claims of catastrophic global warming to a case involving a convicted child molester. At the time, Mann was a professor of atmospheric science at Pennsylvania State University. He had gained international recognition in 1998 when he published the now infamous hockey stick graph in the journal Nature. It depicted skyrocketing global temperature beginning in the 20th century with no expected end in sight. The United Nations immediately lashed onto the hockey stick graph, which it included in two climate change assessment reports. The reports were then used by governments around the world to set environmental policies. Al Gore also featured it in his debunked movie, An Inconvenient Truth. However, some of his scientific contemporaries criticized Mann, including climatologist Dr. Tim Ball. But instead of defending himself by publishing his original data for peer review, Mann sued Ball for libel. But that didn't go over so well. The court wanted to see his original data as well. When Mann refused, the Supreme Court of British Columbia threw the case out and ordered him to pay the defendant's legal costs. But despite the setback, Mann wasn't going to be deterred. He also sued aerospace engineer Rand Simberg and political commentator Mark, Mark Stein. And last Thursday, the jury awarded him more than $1 million in punitive damages. However, it only gave him a token $1 in compensatory damages. So here's the backstory. In 2012, Simberg published a column suggesting that man's employer, Penn State, engaged in a cover-up to protect him from scrutiny of the hockey stick graph. Penn State then conducted an investigation, and the result wasn't too surprising. The school exonerated this professor. But many declared it a whitewash. Simberg's article compared Penn State's investigation of Mann to its cover-up of the Jerry Sandusky scandal. Sandusky is a former assistant football coach at Penn State who in 2012 was convicted of sexually abusing young boys. The FBI discovered that the university tried to hide Sandusky's crimes. Simberg's sin was saying that the same university president who resigned in the wake of the Sandusky scandal was also president when Mann was being investigated. The blog post accused Penn State of disregarding ethical standards to shield prominent figures connected with the school. Conservative commentator Mark Stein was impressed with Simberg's arguments, so he reprinted his column on the National Review website. Mann then sued the journalists and their publishers. His complaint accused them of libel and the intentional infliction of emotional distress. It also accused them of what Stein called the hitherto unknown crime of defamation of a Nobel Prize recipient. In fact, Mann published a press release on his Facebook page announcing the lawsuit, and it too claimed that he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his global warming research. National Review contacted the Nobel Foundation, which denied that Mann had ever won a Nobel Prize. Nevertheless, National Review attorneys argued that what Simberg wrote was protected under the First Amendment, and they pointed out the unsettled controversy surrounding the hockey stick graph. Twelve years later, the verdict is in, and major media are happy about the outcome. Attorney and president of the Think Tank Center of the American Experiment, John Hindenracker, has been following the case closely. He explains on his Powerline blog, quote, the verdict was disappointing to those of us who followed the case and thought that Michael Mann presented a pathetically inadequate case. The jury actually agreed and found that the defendants had defamed Mann 
but awarded only a $1, a token $1 in damages since Mann had failed to prove any. But it found that both Simberg and Stein acted with actual malice, that they didn't actually believe what they said about Mann and awarded punitive damages in the amount of $1,000 against Simberg and $1 million against Stein. Hindenracker continued, saying, in a sane world, this case would never have gone to the jury. The legal standard is actual malice, which means the defendants must have thought subjectively that what they said wasn't likely true. In this case, there was no evidence whatever that Stein and Simberg didn't sincerely believe that what they said was true. Mann, of course, is claiming his win in the case is a victory for science. He's also issuing warnings about what is and is not protected speech. Here's what he told CNN. It isn't just about me in defending my science from scurrilous attacks and defamatory claims. It's really about the defense of science. Um, you know, it's appropriate uh, to uh, debate science, to challenge uh, other people's scientific findings. That's part of this, what, what Carl Sagan described as the self-correcting machinery of science. But that doesn't mean that you can lie about scientists. It doesn't mean that you can defame them and make false claims about them. And in today's world, uh, you know, we see so much disinformation. We see attacks on science and attacks on scientists. And, and I think it, it was an important message um, at this moment in time that it's not OK to make false claims about scientists and to make defamatory accusations against scientists. Both Stein and Simberg have said they will appeal. All right, Steve, we have a few minutes here. I just can't help but think but that man kind of, um, you know, he piggybacked on this defamation deal. And it's like, I don't know if it would have happened if he wouldn't have kind of coupled this idea, this uh, their comments with the Jerry Sandusky uh, scandal. Because that is pretty, it seems pretty libelous. You know, in a way, I could kind of see where he's coming from. I don't like defending these people, but... Well, yeah, probably wasn't the classiest way to put it. Um, but I, I think that, you know, the, the larger lesson to be extracted from here is that this, this man embodies the truly pathetic state of modern science, which is, is, has, has gone from the vehicle of the likes of Newton and Einstein and Watson and Crick, all these other people. It, it, you know, science, the scientific method is one of the great, uh, along with limited government, which we talk about on this show a lot more than we talk about science, one of the two great triumphs of Western civilization. Mm -hmm. okay? I mean, there's nothing been any, never been anything like it in the history of, of the yeah. world. Science has been, if not an unalloyed benefit to the, to, to, to the entire human race, um, pretty close to it. And it's gone from that lofty status yeah. to this... I mean, we can't really burn it. It's basically modern-day Lysenkoism. It is as trivial and politicized and petty as the the faux science practiced under Stalin and yeah. under Mao, if, if if such was allowed at all. Uh, it, it's it's headed. It, it's reached that point. You know, Michael Mann is not a a, a great scientist, in in my opinion. Go ahead, sue me. Okay, I said it. Uh, he he may have he may have been claiming he was no nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know. A lot of people get nominated for it, but this is not a great thinker. It's not a person of the stature of Einstein or any of these great scientists mm -hmm. who gave us the the revolutions in physics and chemistry and mathematics yeah. and engineering on and on of the, the 19th and 20th centuries. You know, 
people of that intellectual stature generally now don't work at universities. They work at uh, large tech firms and so forth, and they're, they're revolutionizing AI and all the rest of this. So, so he's a hack. You're saying he's a well, hack. Well, most people, in, and again, I was an employee of Penn State University at the time that this was taking place and also during the, the Sandusky scandal. Mm. I, I can tell you. Did it was you the hear most, anything about this case? When I heard were? a lot about this case. Oh, and of course, wow. everybody at Penn State, well, most people at Penn State who were talking about were, were very defensive. I mean, it was, you know, they, they accepted hook, line, the sinker, the idea this guy was being defamed. And, and we should point out that his initial attempts at Action, legal action didn't have to do with this this Jerry Sandusty comparison, which was art, certainly artless. But um, but with other you know people criticizing him, you know, so these these scientists and and academics in general writ large have have become this class of pathetic cry bullies. Yeah, you know because they're they, they, you know they're part and parcel of the whole woke movement. You mm-hmm. know the, the cultural Marxism, and that's that's their stock in trade. Yeah. So you know I I just have I, I have. You know, when I was young, I used to dream about being a, a college professor and so forth because I, I saw people, I thought these, you know, I, I had a lot of access to university campuses, and but I would never want to be there now. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a wouldn't sad... Wanna, wouldn't want to participate. Next up, Steve Talks Economics with Dave Bratt. If Americans want to remain a free and sovereign nation, more people need to understand the principles and values that built this great nation. At the John Birch Society, we have the organization the plan and the resources to do just that. Our founder, Robert Welch, said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Go to jbs.org to learn more, including how you can get involved to work locally and impact nationally. Join the John Birch Society today. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. All right, folks. So my colleague Steve here recently interviewed Dave Bratt, a former three-term Virginia congressman, the vice provost at Liberty University, and an expert on financial issues. All right, Steve, so we have a few seconds here before we show a portion of the interview. And by the way, folks, you can actually see the entire interview at thenewamerican.com, and we also have a link for it in the description. Uh, with a few seconds left, Steve, was there anything surprising, or what, what are your thoughts on this interview that we're about to watch part of? Well, no, it was it, it, it was nice to, to interact with, with Dave. He He's, uh, as you mentioned, he was a congressman. He was, he was the first, and as far as I know to date, the only person to ever uh, unseat a sitting House Majority Leader in, that was Eric Cantor, Cantor, in the primaries, Uh, is a really good guy, has a PhD in economics. Economics is one of my favorite subjects, too. So we kind of meshed, had a lot to say. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about inflation, as as you'll see in the the excerpt. Modern monetary monetary theory theory a little bit. Interest rates. Only so much you can say in a 30-minute interview, but, but... we, we were both enjoying it and kind of geeking out over the yeah, subject. Yeah, I saw it. We, I highly recommend it. So we're going to roll about six, seven minutes of it. And like I say, you can watch the rest at thenewamerican.com. 
you've been batting around this term inflation. It's a term yeah. we've been hearing a lot about. Yeah. Most people assume that, well, inflation means rising prices, but I think there's a little bit more to it than that. So I've got a two-part question for you I'd like you to expostulate yeah. on. First okay. of all, what is inflation really? What What is its root cause? And second, yeah. what is the relationship between inflation and public debt? All right. Yeah, that's, a, that's good. All right. So inflation is a, a rise in the overall price level, right? And so the way they measure it, the consumer uh, price index, the CPI, is a bundle of goods, right? And if there's bias in there, there's huge literature out on that. Uh, but basically, they just take a market basket of goods, right? Your house and your cars and your food and all the things you got to buy. And they just track that over time and see, is that bundle of goods going up? And if that bundle of goods has gone up by 10%, uh, you got 10% inflation. Inflation used to be... Uh, described by an increase in the money supply right alone right and so that that was the a standard kind of monetarist uh, understanding and it is correct because uh inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon right that's uncle milton friedman and uh, right. the, the best in the in the world ever on that and if you want to hear you know a great mind with a smile on his face uh he, milton friedman just go to youtube but inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. So you hear people say, and even conservatively, government spending causes it. No, it doesn't. And the uh, energy shocks cause it. No, it doesn't. If you don't print more money, right, and if a price of oil goes up, well, then you got to either buy less oil or less other stuff, unless the Fed prints more money. And so that that's the the real deal. And then what was the second part? How How is that related to interest rates? No, to debt. To debt. Oh, man. Well, how is it related to debt? It, it's usually uh, the government is irresponsible and we can't live within our means. So then the government goes out and goes into debt uh, and somebody's got to buy that debt. Right. And so the Federal Reserve can help uh, by printing money uh, to make the price of that debt way cheaper. And so that that's the basic relationship. Right. That they. The Fed monetizes that debt, prints money out of thin air, uh, gives it to the government, and uh, the, we got to pay back the debt, right? Uh, but that that's the, the the major relationship. Right. Well, you, you did mention the inter interest rates. I just want to explore that for a moment because, pe again, yeah. people become accustomed to hearing certain shibboleths on the news, and yeah. one of them in recent years has been the interest rates, the interest rates. The, whereas, you know, whereas, as you mentioned in the past, it was more customary yeah. to speak about M1, M2, Etc. The various metrics for for money supply, right. and right. now it's been replaced with this 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 fetishization of interest yeah. rates, which uh, which I yeah. am given to understand is actually part and parcel of you know more or less the modern theory of banking and 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 finances that is yeah. that that's paramount when when yeah. considering how to uh, to manipulate or to or, or to manage the money supply. Focus right. on interest right. rates. So what what is meant yeah. by that? Yeah. Well, you know. So look. Uh, what we just had. We just had 9% inflation, right? And then Axios and all the news people say, hey, Biden, you know, people are ticked off at a lot of things, but they're really ticked off because their food prices and gas prices, you better fix this or you're dead. So the Federal Reserve sees that in the Fed, there's, you know, a political business cycle. You can Google that term. Uh, everyone thinks the Federal Reserve is neutral. Uh, they're not. They play politics. And uh, so, you know, the Trump equation is in there. I won't get into all that. Uh, but 
So in order to get rid of the inflation, the standard explanation is you have to slow down the economy. So how do you slow down the economy? Well, you 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 cut the money supply, which they did. They, there's less M2. If you go Google on FRED, which is the Federal Reserve's database, just Google FRED M2 and you'll see it's going down. And so that causes, an, if there's less money, that causes the price of money to go up. So the interest rate goes up. And of course, that makes it harder for you to buy a car. Uh, that makes all your uh, credit card uh, debt go up. The the interest rate on your credit card used to be 18. Now it's 25. Uh, it makes mortgages more expensive. Businesses have five-year debt cycles on their properties traditionally. So they have a few years to get out of their, uh, their uh, debt problem. Uh, and then boom, uh, all of it's at the new higher interest rates for business, commercial, real estate as well, right? There's some worries about that. But, but the basic explanation is the, the standard tool is the Fed prints less money, raises the interest rate, and that's the tool they use to either heat up the economy or cool it down. So right now they're trying to cool it down, uh, but then the federal government steps in with fiscal policy, which means government spending, and juiced it back up. Well, Dave, you know, I mean, anybody who spends a little bit of time perusing the financial press is going to come across this term, modern monetary theory, or MMT, yeah. which yeah. has become sort of the regnant dominant theory in Washington, yeah. particularly yeah. among Democrats, although I would have to say not exclusively. So could you give us an idea? I mean, and, I mean, one of the things about MMT is that they assure us that all of this, all of these concerns about, about rising debt are just bogeymen. That in, in point oh, of fact, right. you know, in the Keynesian sense, you know, we owe, we owe it to ourselves. And, and there's more to it than that, of course. So, so I mean, many of their spokespersons tend to be very articulate and engaging, which is why yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, they must know what they're talking about. Maybe we shouldn't worry after all. What's your response to, mon what is mon the mon in essence, what is modern monetary theory and what's your response to its claims? Yeah, well, you laid out the base that you can just print as much money as you want. You can go into as much debt as you want. And uh, we got it all covered. Uh, and that sounds good. I just heard someone else uh, on some other issue related to this. I think it was Milton Tree. And anyway, the, 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 the end game here is kind of funny for the left because eventually you run into reality. So how do you know now uh, that this MMT thing is a fraud, right? That you can't just print money. We did it for years, right? We, we, stimulated the economy. The, the Fed kept the interest rate at 0% for a decade. We juiced things like crazy. The rich got rich, right? The 10% of people own 90% of the stocks uh, and bonds and pensions got rich after 07, 08. And so they know how to play the stock market game. So they made incredible money. But now the fun new part is, oops, uh, modern monetary theory goofed up because they forgot about one thing, which is if inflation kicks in, they don't even care about that, really, right? Some of these uh, globalist folks don't really care about the lower income folks or the blue collar, middle income. Uh, but then when inflation comes in, the interest rate goes up. And what does that do? Now you got to pay 5% in, in a, in a, interest rolling over on the U.S. debt, which is now at $34 trillion. And in 10 years, the total U.S. debt, according to CBO, will be over $50 trillion. Hey, America, how tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed. 
put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, the New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. All right, folks. So the newamerican.com just got a makeover. We're really excited about it. It looks great. Uh, but I have the publisher of the New American joining me, Dennis Barron. And we're going to talk about how um, you can kind of navigate around and even share articles that are about uh, behind the paywall. Welcome, Dennis. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're obviously all excited here about the new website. It looks great. We've added a breaking news sec section. Uh, we got a reporter staying on top of that. Uh, we have all the old uh, all the old parts that people really love and more. Uh, but I want you to help folks uh, who, who may have questions about how to maybe log in yeah. or even share some of the articles. Now, one of the most important things about the New American, of course, is that we put out information that our members, John Birch Society members, which is the parent company of this organization, uh, they use. I mean, here we have just one such article, I mean, uh, magazine, and that's the Article 5 one, uh, the convention and whatnot. So I'm going to let you take it away here. Help uh, for those who have questions about how to navigate or log in or even share articles uh, help us understand. Well, we're glad to have launched the new design for the website. We think we can bring a lot more content to bear on this website uh, than we could before. Not that there's there was less content before. There was just as much, but the old design didn't really let us yeah. elevate that to awareness. So the new design is intended to do that. Uh, but as part of the new design, we've also had to put uh, a few things behind what we call our paywall, which isn't really unusual in this business. Uh, most of the successful companies that uh, publish uh, on a daily basis have had to do that. Wall Street Journal's done it for many years. The New York Times has done it for many years. And uh, the reality is that it's expensive, very expensive to publish content every single day, which is what we do, as well as in our print magazine. And we have also been selling the print magazine for many years. If you want to read what's in the print magazine, you had to buy an individual copy or you had to subscribe to the magazine. So in principle, we're just carrying that forward to the present day. But what we also want people to do is exactly what you said, which is to share this content because uh, we want people to know more, which is why we published the New American Magazine in the first place. We want them to be able to do more with what they know and to share that with others. So behind our paywall, we still have an ability, which is I think a little bit uh, distinctive for us to share these share this content with other people who may not yet be subscribers. So I yeah. want to show you how to do that. Uh, the first thing, if you are a subscriber to the New American Magazine, of course, to get to that extra content, we would want you to log in. So if you're at thenewamerican.com, and I won't go through that whole process, but I've got my mouse cursor right up there with the little Mickey Mouse hand on the login button in the black bar at the very top. 
when you're at thenewamerican.com, just click login and you're logged in. You can then access everything that's at the site. Um, if you're not logged in, let's say you want to go to the current issue of the magazine. What way? How do you log? I mean, do you have a user word and a password? Is you, that the same? Your username and password, yes. And yeah. it could be your username, could be your email address. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what it is, there's a password recovery feature yeah, that's just like every password. other password recovery. Yeah. There's nothing unusual about this. It's literally exactly the same as you'll find, let's say, at your electric bill. If you lost your password to pay your electric yeah. bill, it's the exact same thing. Um, now, if you want to get to just, you know, let's say you're not logged in, but you're looking at the current issue and you want to say, I want to read this. WEF 24 ramping up global control article. You click on it, you go to it, and you read the first introductory paragraphs, of which there are three or four. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that on my screen as I'm scrolling through it right now. You'll, you're going to be able to read those, and you're going to get down to that. And it's going to say, This fantastic article is for subscribers only. So if you're not a subscriber, we'd like you, of course, to subscribe. And we've got a couple of subscription options right there, yeah. conveniently accessible. If you are a subscriber, you can log in. And I'll just do that right now, live right on this screen. And so I'm logging in, password and username, and I click the login button. And uh, that should load up momentarily. And there it is. So now we have the entire, entire articles right there. So you see uh, Klaus Schwab uh, welcoming you to the article. <laughs> <laughs> and you can read the entire text. So you're kind of seeing me scroll through the entire text. You see the images that yeah. we have there and so on and so forth. But great article. You want to share it with some legislators or some friends. You want to get them up to speed on what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right below the subtitle, there's a couple of features. Once you log in, and this is a feature only available for, for subscribers, you get an, uh, an audio player, which is being provided by the John Birch Society. Thanks to the funding the John Birch Society is providing, we can give this audio player yes. to you. You can listen to the full text of the article. That's a fantastic option. I love that because I listen to articles. I have a 40-minute drive and sometimes I would like to catch up. I'll listen to articles, our it articles, or from other newspapers who do the same Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Terrific feature. Isn't that great? Yeah. So that's courtesy of the John Birch Society. Thank you for doing that. I think that's a great feature for our readers. And Paul, you just explained why. Now there's right below that a button that says share a PDF of this article. So if you want to share the goodness of this, this article, share the information that's in there, get people motivated to do something about what's going on, you just click share a PDF of this article. Click that yeah. button. What the site will then do is create a PDF of that article live right there on the fly for you. And now you have a couple of options to save it. Uh, if you want, you can just download the PDF and then you can attach it to an email that you might yeah. want to send out to your friends. Which uh, they then can, because once it's a PDF, they could share as well. That's correct? right. It, you can share it and share it and share it and so on and so forth. Or you can copy the URL uh, by clicking in the web address bar. The URL starts with HTTPS colon slash slash the new American and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. The URL stands for Uniform Resource Locator for anyone who likes to spell out an acronym. Uh, that's the web address. You just copy I that. I just learned something. There you go. <laughs> I've got that highlighted on my screen. You can copy and you can paste that right into your email as well. Yeah. And you'll notice there's a QR code uh, on this uh, PDF. That QR code will take people who may want to subscribe because they're so impressed with what they're reading, they want to get more, that'll take them to where they can subscribe to the New American Magazine. And that's it. Great features. Other other places, you can make a PDF yeah. uh, of an article. Let's say if you, you know, random random paywall journal you want to look at, you can print a PDF from your, your computer. We short-circuit that whole thing. We don't make you do that. We give you a button to give yeah. you a shortcut to it. So it's great functionality. I, I love that I because the PDF also formats it in a way that is easier because sometimes I print out a lot of stuff, obviously, what we do here. And one of the biggest problems is a lot of websites, I would say a majority of them, don't actually offer that. So you end up printing and like there's stuff all over the pages and whatnot. But this is super, super important because our members, the John Birch Society, who is obviously the parent company of this, uh, the magazine, they use our magazines to help 
opinion molders, especially in others. And this is this is why it exists, does it not? To help create this understanding, the founder of JBS, he used to have this saying, and I think I say at least once a week, that education is our total strategy and truth is our only weapon. Well, that's what we do here. That's what we traffic in, isn't it? Well said, Paul. That's exactly what we do. And I can't say it any better than you. So everyone should go back and hit replay on what Paul just said, because <laughs> it was phenomenal. Uh, I, I, with a few minutes we have left, I, I did bring some issues that I think uh, are a perfect example of what we need to help people understand. I, I brought up the Article 5, the CONCON. Now, the CONCON is a big issue for for our members. And last but they, last year, last but last year, they kicked butt. They went to legislatures all over the country and they won. And this is one of the tools that we created for them. Uh, and it helps legislators understand uh, this issue is one of the many, many issues that when people hear our version of it or what we consider to be truth is they change their minds. We've seen that over and over. Uh, another issue that is dear to our heart, of course, is education. Uh, now, these issues are a little older, but we still have lots of them. And these are the kinds of things that help parents understand the dangers of public school or what we call government schools. And so those, you definitely need to share these because um, it explains what's behind the madness, the education madness that we see. And then one of my favorites, and not only because there's an article by me here at the end, <laughs> and I think we're out of this, but I think we have it digitally, right? We I, should have it digitally. Yep, yes. right. If you subscribe, you can get that. Yeah, yeah. This one, I mean, CFR, still behind the throne. And we, we published this two, three years ago, but we have lots of stuff on the CFR. But this is just another example. When I was uh, at a conference, I was passing. The, these things were going like hotcakes. And people are like, CFR, like they know that that Biden, there was something wrong, like that he was a globalist, but they never, a lot of them had never heard about the CFR. We've been tracking the CFR for decades from since the beginning. And we even have like a chart in here, see who in government is part of the CFR. And so these are just a few examples of the amazing work that you guys do, which by the way, is, is terrific. Obviously, uh, you're, you're in charge of that. And we are so grateful for, for the work that you guys put out. It's something that we cite here on the show all the time and whatnot. So uh, we, with a few seconds left, any any last words here, Dennis, as far as uh, that may, to, to our to listeners and viewers? Well, yeah, CFR is another acronym we could spell out, but I'm not going to. I'm going to invite everybody to come. If you haven't haven't figured out what CFR is yet, you've never encountered that, come to thenewamerican.com. We're going to explain it to you, along with many, many other things, in a way that you haven't heard from the mainstream media ever before. So they put a spin on things. We're going to get rid of that spin. We're going to tell you the facts. Thank you, Dennis. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news.